Welcome to Word on the Street Investment Insights, a podcast from Barclays UK where we delve into the world of fund managers to help ordinary investors understand a bit more about the professionals who are managing their investments. In this episode of Fund Manager Insights, we talk to John Wallace from Jupiter Asset Management on how he and his team select to invest the most promising companies that provide sustainable solutions. He talks about his team's focus on environmental themes and the challenges of identifying the solutions that successfully deliver positive returns. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments. Hello and welcome to this Investment Insights session where I can hopefully peel away at the fund management industry and take a look at what goes on in greater detail. Now for today's session, I'm going to be talking to a fund manager who runs a very interesting fund, an ESG, so Environmental, Social and Governance, an ESG fund, also known as a, a, a responsible investing fund or a sustainable fund to me and you. Today, I want to understand a bit more about what goes on under the bonnet. My name is Mike Haslam. I sit within the funds team at Barclays. And today I'm joined by John Wallace from Jupiter Asset Management. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Mike. Brilliant. So now, now I've seen you before, John, specifically at a recent investment conference, and it seemed to me that you are you are very good at explaining complex things to a person of basic understanding like me. So I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Uh, before we start off, just to introduce yourself. So you are an equity fund manager. Uh, you run the Jupiter Ecology Fund. Can you can you just explain a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So that means essentially I'm I'm lucky enough uh, to focus all of my time uh, on environmental themes and their solutions, and the solutions is, is the key part of that. So that might be solutions for tackling climate change or, or water scarcity or indeed waste and how we avoid waste. Essentially, there are challenges that are growing in importance and many of them in urgency as well. And that's really the focus for, for us uh, on the team uh, and how we apply that into an investment fund, being the, the ecology fund. And you've mentioned the team there. You are part of a larger team at Jupiter, aren't you? The environmental solutions team. That's right. So we're a team of, of four, all with an environmental solutions focus and a, and a passion around that too. Spanning equity and actually fixed income as well. So quite unique in that sense that we, we crossed the, the asset bridge there, if you like. The strategy has been around actually for a very, very long time. So since 1988, in fact. And that was around the time that sustainability you know, as a term was really only first being used, but not necessarily in financial markets, definitely not at that point. So we have deep roots, I think, in this area. And I'm only actually the fourth manager of the fund in that whole time. But it's definitely absolutely very much a team effort. Digging a little bit deeper, I was looking at your personal background. Don't worry, I'm not a stalker or anything. But you, so looking back at university, you studied what environmental technology at university, and then you worked for a really interesting organisation before joining Jupiter. Could you talk through a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. So I did. I, I studied well, actually, first time around economics and history at university, and that introduced me initially to sustainability as a as a concept through the economics history, uh, sorry, economics. Um, part of the course and then I actually went into management consultancy for a few years on a typical grad scheme which I liked but I knew there were definitely more hopefully more interesting fields than asset finance software so I actually went to work then to, for a non-profit called Forum for the Future so London based but working with global large corporates on a consultancy basis really trying to improve and to help those companies to think about sustainability in their kind of core strategies and I you know I, I 
really enjoyed that. I decided that's absolutely what I'm going to commit my career to. Went on to study environmental technology after that um, in 2008, 2009, and joined Jupiter as an intern while I was still finishing that course, so in the summer of 2009. And at that point, obviously, Jupiter was one of the the, the, the leaders at, absolutely in this field, so one of the, the long-standing uh, committed investors around environmental solutions investing. And it was that, that solutions part that particularly intrigued me, and it was the ecology fund that had provided that access for, for clients looking to invest into to solutions to environmental challenges. A fascinating background. So coming back to the fund then, so the Jupiter Ecology Fund, could you could you explain to us a little bit more about what it does, what the purpose of the fund is? Yeah, so the, the purpose really hasn't changed So in all the time that it's been around, and that is to give our clients focused access to, to companies that are providing a solution and typically at the core of what they do. So not around the edges, but absolutely front and center of what those companies are doing. What we say about that is really that we're looking for products and services, not necessarily behaviors, not how a company operates, but what it's actually doing on a day-to-day basis, what its product or service is in its own market. And those products and services have to address environmental challenges. So most people instinctively think straight away of wind turbines and clean energy more broadly, or sustainable mobility, for example, and electric vehicles. And that's absolutely right. But also think about solutions for, say, the circular economy. That's how we avoid waste, by making sure resources can be captured and used again, uh, many times over. Also new types of materials that protect and actually over time enhance environmental challenges that are only really starting to emerge in in popular consciousness. So that's things like biodiversity and the wider risks around the natural environment and some of the the damage that we're doing to it. Inadvertently, you know, obviously nobody sets out to do that on purpose, but obviously what we're looking to find through our investments and through the fund are companies that have a vision of the future, a positive vision of of the future and a solution which can make a meaningful difference in the real economy. Okay, so so the objective of the fund hasn't changed then since, was it 1988, I believe it was launched? But the space where you invest must have changed. I mean, it must have changed during the period that you, you have been at Jupiter. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, so I joined Jupiter in 2009, um, as I mentioned. And it, the, the space, the, the landscape for sustainable investment broadly, but also environmental solutions investment within that, because we know we think it's a specific part of that picture, has changed hugely. And it's only, I, I would say, it's accelerated um, year on year, certainly in the last three to four years in terms of the 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 sense of urgency i suppose so some of the challenges that we're looking to address have have become much more prominent much more urgent um but also i think there's much more willingness to participate from a so you know our clients understand the challenges they understand what the fund is trying to do and also the solutions there's a much better understanding of what what an environment solution is and what it can achieve but yeah to put that into context with the first few years after i joined in 2009 environment solutions at that point were in the main in most cases, most of our investment teams were really struggling, actually. They were struggling to scale up and commercialize. They were struggling to remain relevant, really, I suppose, in the wake of the financial crisis. And they were, I think, looking back, they were swimming against a tide, really, of opinion. And that opinion at the time was that environmental challenges were something to address only really when uh, you know, the sun was shining, if you like, not in the aftermath of a crisis. And I think just as one key shift that we've seen that if you fast forward to now there are still obviously some parallels to be drawn with the recent past and the crisis we're, we're still emerging from i would say but there is now undoubtedly i think an emphasis on solving the most critical challenges facing us globally uh, and we think on the desk that environmental challenges are unfortunately 
sort of only really coming to the fore now and they're going to underpin a lot of the the, the challenges we're going to see across global economic development and societal development as well. So we no longer think of them purely as environmental challenges on the side of or on the fringes of, of, of what's important. Actually, they are front and centre, right at the core of what really is going to matter to, to global populations. Um, also, what's changed, I suppose, thinking very recently, you know, the, the, you can see in uh, recent weeks as we head into the, the the climate conference in Glasgow that the UK government, for example, has has developed a mechanism or made a commitment to develop a mechanism which really helps clients, investors, to understand uh, the difference, I suppose, in the different approaches you can take towards sustainable investing. And I think that's very, very positive. Um, so they call that the Sustainable Disclosure Requirements or the SDRs. It's very similar to what we've seen in Europe um, in terms of the language, and the, and, but also the, the, the aim of that whole uh, regulatory push if you like and it's there to help investors um you know people who don't necessarily follow the markets or follow investments closely but who want to have a a, a clear sense of what they are investing on in, perhaps what they're not investing in. and i think that's something that we're going to see rise in terms of provenance uh, in the next couple of years it's very important to us on the fund and the, the sector more widely and it's a, again it's an example of a, of a sea change really to to where we were a little over 10 years ago when i joined the firm yeah, fascinating stuff because the whole market really has moved on so swiftly, especially during, you know, during the last 12, 18 months in particular. But coming back to the fund again then, so let's, can we, can we dig a little bit deeper into exactly what you do? You know, kind of maybe, maybe give us some examples or, or maybe talk us through what you invest in, the kind of companies, the themes. Where should we start? Sure. I mean, let's start with how we, we think really, which is, you know, we start by by looking at the problems, we look at the environmental challenges globally, some of which are emerging, some of which have been around for a long period of time, all of which are very important and are going to become more important. But that's where we start really. And, and, and normally, you know, we're optimistic that we'll find the solutions available somewhere. It's just that they won't necessarily be prominent. They won't necessarily be fully developed. And also what we're looking for fundamentally are, are solutions which make a difference in the real world, but also have a company behind them that have the right management teams and the right sort of strategy to deliver on the on the promise of that solution. So that's absolutely vital for us. And it does also lead us into some quite interesting, I would say esoteric, maybe geeky avenues as well. But you know, topic front of mind, if you like, at the moment is we're looking at large recognized household name businesses with consumer-facing business in particular that are signing up in their droves to be what we call net zero over a, a time period of, say, 20, 30, sometimes 40 years. And that means that companies that provide us with you know, everyday products are thinking about what goes into those products, how they source them, how they transport them, how they're used, how they're wasted, or how they what happens to those products at the end of their life. So those aren't necessarily companies that we want to invest in, but what they are doing is sending very powerful signals to up and down their value chains. And that's what really does get us interested. So you know, we're looking for companies and into some of the solutions that we haven't had a lot of exposure to historically, but we're actually very optimistic about looking ahead. Companies that have um, solutions that take, for example, wood waste, so waste wood products, and can derive from that solutions across a number of different applications or a number of different um, products. So think, think about household cleaners. So that often in, involves quite harsh chemicals, petrochemical based products, but also think about things like cosmetics. So the thickeners in cosmetics also think about flavorings. So vanilla um, or vanillin as they call it. So 
again, not to be too too niche here, but vanillin is the synthetic or man-made vanilla flavoring. 90% of that globally comes from petrochemicals. It sounds pretty unsavory, but also it has a an embedded carbon footprint. So if you're a company which makes any sort of product with a vanilla flavoring to it, you're probably over time going to want to address that. And that's exactly what we're seeing with some of the solutions that we have invested in the portfolio. A real ramp up in interest in how they can apply naturally occurring ingredients and displace fossil fuel ingredients. Um, and that, that can, can lead us down some avenues, as I mentioned, that are quite esoteric, using academic papers, et cetera. But actually, the, the real starting point for us is, is always, what are the challenges? Who's looking to address them? And who's in a good position as well to, to make a meaningful difference in their, their day-to-day markets? So, so it's not about the companies that are actually changing themselves, you know, the large household cleaner manufacturers or cosmetic companies. It's about those companies that are providing the solutions to those businesses. Absolutely. I think that's that's a key, I guess, mm-hmm. distinction for us. Yeah. So we, we we consider these companies in the main, so the whole investment universe, if you like, as being enablers. So they're going to help to, 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 to deliver, I suppose, on the targets that a lot of companies and governments are setting. It might be clean energy. It might be how we, again, we avoid waste, the sort of products that we have in the marketplace, how, how, how long they can be stored on shelves, that sort of thing. So we avoid waste in that sort of area, if you like, of the, of the market. So there's a multitude of different environmental solutions that we could potentially invest in. But we don't necessarily invest in the companies that are setting those targets. It's often the, you know, where we find our, the opportunity set or in the companies that are focused purely on providing the sorts of environmental solutions that those companies need. Got it. Okay. And I, I can totally relate with those, you know, with those areas, clean cosmetics, etc. Any other particular areas that maybe our listeners would be able to relate to in their daily lives? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, front of mind at the moment, the UK government has made some quite big picture targets around how we heat and actually increasingly how we cool our homes. It's obviously a few few more days of the year now when we actually need to cool our homes. But heating our homes is a, is a really carbon intensive part of our daily lives. And you know, I, for one, have a gas boiler in my house. It's unlikely that by the time it comes around to, to being replaced, I'll be able to re- replace it necessarily with a with a gas boiler again, potentially. And I think that that's one of the areas that we're looking for solutions for. We have some solutions already in the portfolio for that. But again, it, it becomes quite esoteric and quite niche, but actually it, it should really be quite simple. So companies that are providing a low carbon source of heat, you know, these are 9, 10, 15 year investments that, that each of us make. So the regulation around that is thinking ahead. So it's looking at the types of materials and the types of chemicals that go into some of the, the solutions that can displace a gas boiler and putting some quite stringent requirements on that. And that means that there's only, I think, a handful of companies really globally that can meet and deliver and scale up the, at the rate that we require it, the, the sorts of solutions that we need, but also the ones that are going to continue to be on the right side of environmental regulation and legislation. So, yeah, I think we're all probably thinking about how this will affect our daily lives, the cars we'll drive, for example, and, and how we'll heat our homes, and et cetera, and even down to the things that we eat. So, you know, a, a huge area of opportunity for us is in alternatives to meat and dairy. And I think it's fairly widely known now there's a health benefit, of course, for eating some types of or less types of some red meats, for example, in particular. But also there's, a, there's an environmental advantage there. And I think that's where we often see really powerful catalysts when you have a health driver and an environmental driver kind of coinciding. So for us, that's a, a big opportunity and a big part of our overall growth picture. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you talk about the gas central heating boilers, which is, which is something that's taken media attention 
recently. But I guess there are, there are all sorts of solutions that you look at. I guess it's not just focusing on the new low carbon heat pumps. I guess you, you also focus on the fact that we all live in pretty leaky and pretty inefficient houses. We do, and we'll continue to live in, you know, I suppose everything, even if we build as many houses as the government in the UK wants to build in the next 10 years, we'll, you know, the vast, vast majority of us will still live in houses that are already standing. So so that's a big part of the investment universe for us. So energy efficiency broadly is is where we actually have our, our largest allocation. If we think, take a step back and look at our overall allocation by theme, it's it's consistently our, one of our largest themes by exposure. And that's because there are so many applications be it in, in houses, be it in commercial settings as well. And that includes everything from lighting to how we, again, how we distribute heat, how we control for that. But some of these solutions as well have been around for a long period of time. So they're not necessarily as, as new and as novel as a heat pump or as an electric vehicle, for example, but they will play a very significant role in helping to deliver on, on the targets that the government have set. And that I guess we all want to, to, to also see become a reality. So, yeah, I think that's a fairly good way of, of describing the, the opportunities available to us. There's a lot of innovation in our space. That there will continue to be. But there's also a lot of companies that have a solution which is going through a, a growth phase, an accelerated phase, if you like, and, and rolling out more widely to, to their market. And typically, I think that's why we, we think that this our thematic set of, of opportunities really is a growth agenda. And I guess this is what you do on a day-to-day basis. You and your team, you look for companies that are trying to plug the problems, companies that are part of the solution. Absolutely. And some of those are, are the ones that really um, spring to mind to in clean energy, for example. These are companies which are helping us to displace fossil fuels. So that's a really obvious, powerful impact in a, in a, on the day-to-day basis. Others less so in, in areas that we're you know, only really starting to, to fully understand or, or certainly in the public sense to really fully understand, but we, we think over time will become ever more prominent. And that will give us increasingly diversification. And that's what I think that we've seen in the last, certainly I'd say two to three years, increasing diversification in the portfolio. So not just about energy and how we save water, for example, but also how we address environmental challenges in pretty much all pockets of the economy. But absolutely, I mean, this is where we are I get, as I say, lucky enough to be spending all our time focusing on something that we think is, is really important, interesting, and ultimately delivers impact and is, is, we think, very powerful in that respect. Now, sitting here listening, John, it really sounds like you, uh, you really enjoy your job. I do. I, I absolutely do. Yeah, I think we all do on the, on the team. Certainly, I think it's, it's very much in vogue. It's, it's a popular area of the market at the moment. But also, I think it's, it's developed to the point where clients also understand it they want to participate in it and that's really really positive to see so for, for many of us who've been working in this space for a number of years that's really really encouraging as well and, and adds to that that sense of, of optimism and as you say enjoyment fascinating stuff john but we i'm afraid we have run out of time here but it's a real insight into the world of active management within a specialist part of that market as well so thank you very much for your time today and hopefully we can have the opportunity to talk again soon thanks again mike thanks john All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.